show. I found the book I was telling you about. It's, it looks like this. It's out there. It was, it was sitting next to my cup, uh, which I lose all the time, by the way. I, I lose this cup about twice, twice a week here at the church. And uh, the staff's gotten to where they start taking pictures of it in different places and sending it to me like, okay, your cup's here this week. Your cup's here this week. So anyways, this is a great devotional. And it looks like this. So if you want to get a hold of it, this is what it looks like. All right. Uh, I wanted to start this morning just by... Um, by mentioning to you, uh, you know, I've been gone the last couple of weeks, and I uh, was so thankful. Two weeks ago, uh, I was with my family. My parents, it was their 50th anniversary, and we took a, a little weekend trip together, and uh, Pastor Lee preached and did a great job, and uh, we got to watch online that day, and it was a wonderful service. And then uh, this past week, uh, I was gone, and uh, for a different reason, and I know that many of you reached out with uh prayers and messages of support, and so I just wanted to say, tell you how thankful that, that Abby and I were for that. If you didn't know, Abby, my wife, uh, her uncle passed away last week, uh, someone she was very close to, and so um, kind of uh, unexpectedly, so we, we packed up and headed to West Virginia on Thursday, and I was so thankful, as always, for my brother, John Weaver. I just called him and said, we got to go, and he said, I'll take care of it, and uh, he came and, and preached a great message last week, but... Uh, but it was good for us to be, be there and to be with our family there. But I, I want you to know we missed our family here, our fellowship family, and I'm just glad to be back with you today. I wanted to share with you just a little bit uh, about our experience at Uncle Daryl's service. It was, a, it was an amazing service. He, he lived such an amazing life. It was a, an outdoor service on a Saturday afternoon. And after the service was over, I, I shared with uh, his wife, Aunt Judy, I said it was really easy for that to be a worship service because of the way that Daryl lived his life. He, he served God faithfully for 70 years. And uh, I was just so impressed by, <clears throat> by the service. I was impressed by how each of his three sons and their wives got up and spoke at the service. And they, they gave testimony to the impact that his life had on their lives and on their family's life. They have kids of their own now. And uh, I was impressed by their pastor. He was, he was a fairly young guy, like, like about my age, and he, uh, he gave a powerful and, and personal message about uh, Uncle Darrell's impact on his life and, and the way that he followed Christ. But, but what I wanted to tell you uh, was I was impressed the most by the people, uh, the people uh, of C3. C3 is the name of their church. It stands for uh, Covenant Community Church. Now, you, like, you know that I liked it. They all started with the same letter, right? Uh, but C3 stand, stood for Covenant Community Church. And this was the church that Abby's Uncle Daryl and Aunt Judy helped to start almost 25 years ago. And it's still going well to this day. There were, there were church members all over the place that had on uh, C3 shirts and they had C3 name tags and they were passing out bulletins. They even, they even parked our cars for us so that we could focus completely on honoring our family members. And and as I reflected on it, I, I thought, you know, I think the reason why I loved it so much, why I loved them so much, was because they reminded me of you. They reminded me of, of our fellowship family here. Uh, it, it reminded me of uh, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. This was, this was a group of people that embodied this idea of sharing life together in Christ, so that even in death, uh, they shared life together. They, they celebrated his life, and they honored God together as a community of faith. Uh, they, they were pleased to, to share with us not only the gospel of God, but their lives as well. 
there were church members that, that offered to go stay in a hotel so that, so that we could stay in their homes. And we stayed in, in the house of, of some of the members of the church that weekend. They, uh, they prepared food before and after the service. Uh, we, we went to, to Aunt Judy's house after the service and they had set up tables and tablecloths and, and centerpieces. It was like a, like a well-oiled machine. They showed up with coolers and, and covered dishes. You could tell that it wasn't their first rodeo. And uh, what I found out later was that Aunt Judy was a part of that team. She had done this for many other members of the church and families. And, and one of the things I heard one of the ladies say to Aunt Judy was, Judy, this is, this is your turn. Uh, let us serve you right now. And I was just overwhelmed by by this community of faith. They prayed for us. They prayed with us as we gave thanks for food and for family and for faith. And I remember over and over again throughout the weekend just having this thought, this is what, this is what church is supposed to be like. This is what sharing life together in Christ is all about. This is what fellowship is all about. And so I just wanted to share that with you, that even though we were apart, uh, you were on my heart and on my mind. And I'm so thankful for, for this fellowship family and, and all that that we are and, and do for one another and for those around us. Uh, to embody that, that verse that, that's become kind of our mission statement, right? It, it comes from Paul's letter to a church, a church in a place called Thessalonica. And it's, it's in that place that he says those words that I'm sure you all know by heart by now, right? But I won't put you on the spot. <laughs> because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I went back this week because I was thinking about it. I went back this week and I read the whole letter uh, from Paul to this church in Thessalonica. And uh, after reading it over and over again, I'm convinced that that church was, was this kind of church. Uh, listen to what it says in the very beginning. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and mention you in our prayers. We remember you before, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's describing this church of faith, hope, and love, a church that worships together and works together, a church that, that weathers the storms of life together, a church that perseveres in the face of persecution, a, a church that endures in the face of opposition, a church that that stays together even when the world is falling apart. And, and it was in that place that, that God put this on my heart just to, to pray for us. My prayer is for, that we would continue to be and become that kind of church, not just for Christ and for his kingdom, but for our congregation and for our community. I know we've been talking about it a lot lately, but I feel like God wants to us to talk about it just a little bit more this morning. Is that okay? Uh, there, there's a word in, in this vision statement that we've been talking about that, that God keeps putting on my heart, especially as I prayed and, and prepared for the message this morning. And it's that word, together. Sharing life together in Christ. So some of the questions that have been kind of swirling in my heart and mind that I want to share with you today are, are these. How do we... How do we continue to stay together as followers of Christ in a world that, that seems to be falling apart? How do, we, how do we share life together in Christ in a culture that seems so content with contention? How do we stay together on the same team when we're not always on the same 
page. Uh, that's something I say to couples when I do premarital counseling often is, you know, how do you stay together on the same team when you're not on the same page? Because there are times when we're not on the same page, right? But how can we stay on the same team? That's, that's true in marriages, but it's also true in our relationships uh, with one another within the body of Christ. So, so those are just a few questions that I want us to wrestle with today and, and not just wrestle with them, but I want us to, to listen to what God's word has to say about them. So the first scripture I wanna share with you this morning, this comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and he says this, the, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This reminds me of, of what we've been talking about, how God's vision for us is, is to have life, life abundant, life eternal, life together, right? The people of God in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. So, so I was thinking about this. If, if, if God's vision for us is, is to have life together, if it's for us to be connected, to be included, to be incorporated into this life-giving relationship with God and others, if, if God's vision for us is to be together, then, then I imagine that the thief, the, the enemy, the, that which is not God has a vision too. It's the opposite of that vision, right? God, the, 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 the thief's vision is to, to steal and kill and destroy. It's to, to separate, to isolate, to disconnect. If, if God's vision is for us to be brought together, then, then the enemy's vision is for us to be torn apart, right? I think we see that too often in our world. And, and the enemy has three tools that, that I think are used most often to, to tear us apart from, not only from God, but from one another. I call these community killers, and I wanna share the, these three with you today, and, and you'll be surprised to know that they all start with the letter D, right? The three tools are these, deception, distraction, and division. I want to talk about those for just a few minutes this morning, not, not to give the devil any more attention than he deserves, but, but so that we can recognize them and resist them in all their forms, in our, in our lives and in our life together. Uh, the Bible reminds us, for our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not with one another. As Christians, we're called to, to reject and renounce and repent. That's what we say when we, when we profess our faith. So that we can experience life to the fullest in Christ, the kind of life that Christ wants us to have in right relationship with God and with one another, the kind of relationship that Christ died so that we can have. So I wanna talk about each one for just a moment this morning. The first one is deception. Revelation 12, 17 says, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. The, the dragon lost the battle and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down the earth with all his angels. This is one of the few places that, that Satan is named in the Bible and it describes him as one who does what? Who deceives the world. You know, when one of the first things that came to mind for me when I thought about deception in our world today is this phrase that, that we hear a lot uh, nowadays. It's this thing called fake news. Have you heard of that before, right? Fake news. We, we hear that a lot 
And, uh, you know, one of the most deceptive things about fake news is what? It's that it's, it, some of it contains partial truth, right? Sometimes that's the most deceptive thing is the, the thing that contains partial truth, but it's not completely true. Guess what? Fake news is not new. Partial truth is, it has been the MO of the enemy since the very begin of time, beginning of time, hadn't it? In fact, in Revelation, it describes him as the ancient serpent. That kind of echoes back to the very beginning of the story, right back to the book of Genesis, right? The serpent deceived Adam and Eve, and it, and it was done so with half-truths, right? Uh, do you remember kind of how the conversation goes? The serpent says, well, did God say you, you really couldn't eat anything in the garden? Well, well that wasn't true. Not exactly, right? We can, we can eat anything we want, just, just not the, the fruit from this one tree, right? So it was, it was half true. Then the serpent continues, well, well why not? Well, well, if we eat from this tree, we'll die. Then the serpent says, well, well, did God really say you would die? You won't certainly die. You'll just know good and evil. That, that part was true, right? The part the serpent didn't say was that that knowledge, that disobedient act would bring death. To them and it has brought death to us there's this pattern of deception that says did God really say that can, can God really be trusted that's the nature and the root of deception is is it's about distrusting God right like a thief the the enemy stole the the sanctity of their identity as image bearers Adam and Eve he killed their communion that they had with their creator. He, he destroyed their devotion that they had to one another. Do you remember what happened? Because of, their, because of this deception, they, they responded in a few ways. They, they first disguised themselves. They, they denounced one another. And they eventually departed from the presence of God. They covered themselves in fig leaves. They, they cowered behind a tree in the garden. They, they started to criticize one another. They thought the battle was against each other and they forgot about the serpent, right? Um, for at least a minute. And then finally, uh, they were cast out of the garden. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about that story and I think, why did they do that, right? Sometimes it's real easy to get frustrated and look back at Adam and Eve and, and wonder why they did what they did. But, but if I'm honest... I'm really honest, I do some of those things too. We all, we all do, don't we? Don't we all respond that, that way sometimes? I, I, uh, I saw something on Facebook recently that, that really stung me when I read it and it made me think about how people view the church from the outside. It said, I don't know why people are arguing about masks in church. People have been wearing masks at church for years. Ouch. But if we're honest, right, we put on disguises, even at church, we think we can keep people from seeing the real us because we're afraid of what that might mean. We're, we're afraid of rejection. Maybe that's why Adam and Eve put those fig leaves on. We, we hide behind our, our good deeds and we criticize others as if we can impress God or maybe make ourselves look better than others. We point fingers just like they did in the garden. But see, the truth is God, God sees our hearts. God knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. God knew what, what happened in the garden. God knows everything about us and yet he still loves us. He still pursues us. He still comes to us and desires a relationship with us. 
That's the whole story of the Bible is us moving away from God and God seeking to, to bring us back into right relationship with him. That's why Christ came and lived and died and rose again. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be restored through faith in him. That's, that's our story. So that God's vision, God's original intent might be fulfilled, the people of God in the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. And so in the New Testament, God's word encourages us not to put on a disguise so that we can hide from God and from other people. God tells us there's something else we need to put on. Do you remember what, what God's word says in Ephesians chapter six? It says we need to put on the full armor of God, right? Uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on, the, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I love that passage, but I have to tell you, I, I've, I've grown to love it even more since I came to fellowship because of how excited my kids were when they came home from FC Kids and they had memorized that verse, right? You know how it goes, right? The shoes of peace and the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God. Amen. <laughs> I love that. It's such a, a powerful reminder of of what we need to put on each and every day so that we can take our stand against deception, those deceptive schemes and, and the things of this world, right? Unlike those, uh, those, the outfit that Adam and Eve fashioned with fig leaves, they it disguised their true selves. The outfit God has fashioned for us is perfectly fitted for us to be exactly who God has called and created us to be and to do what we were called to do. Instead of hiding behind the tree, God calls us to hold on to the truth. Amen. It's our only defense against the deceptiveness of the enemy. And part of life together in Christ is recognizing and resisting deception, not just around us, but within us as well. We have the capacity to deceive ourselves, don't we? And so we need other people in our lives to remind us of the truth, of who we are, and whose we are, not, not according to the world, but according to the word. It's so easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? That's the second thing this morning, not just deception, but distraction. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible that illustrates how easy it is for us to get distracted is the story in the Gospels of, of Jesus at the house of Mary and Martha. Do you remember this story? Uh, Jesus comes to this house where Mary and Martha, their sisters, and, and Mary is sitting with Jesus, and, and Martha's up running around doing all these things, all these tasks to get ready for Jesus to come, but Jesus is right there, right? Martha gets upset with Mary. Mary, why aren't you helping me? And Jesus corrects Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. One thing. That's one of the things I love so much about the One Word series that we've done together is, is it help us, helps us focus on, on just one thing. What is that one thing? I love how the psalmist describes it in Psalm 27. It says, I'm asking for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. That sounds like a great place to be, doesn't it? 
it's so hard to remember that that's, that's what God wants for us. That's the one thing, to be with him and for him to be with us. A, a few weeks ago, I was, I was sitting outside in my chair. I, I, uh, I've got a place that I sit outside uh, because that's the, sometimes that's the only quiet place in my house. And uh, I get up early in the morning because before the kids get up and everything, I can go outside and I can just have some time to myself and I can read and study and I can get some work done. And so, um, so a couple of Saturdays ago, I was sitting outside in my chair outside and I heard the door open and I looked over and my son, William, he's six, he has got his pajamas on and he said, hey dad. And I said, hey buddy, uh, it's really early. You need to go back to bed and, and get some sleep. It's Saturday. You don't have to get up and go to school. And, and he shut the door and I went back to work and I thought that was that. But just a couple minutes later, I heard that door open again and I saw him walk around there with his little pajamas and he had his blanket in his hand. And uh, he said, dad, can, can I just sit with you? And uh, I'll be really honest with you. Everything inside of me said, I just need a little more time to get some work done. But but so, thankfully, something else in, inside of me overruled, overruled that. And I said, sure, buddy, uh, get up here. And so he got in my lap and I put that blanket over us. And for the next 30 minutes, we just, we just sat there. We didn't say a whole lot. We just enjoyed being in one another's presence. And, and I'll tell you this. I don't remember what I was working on. <laughs> but I'll remember that moment for a long time. And I hope and pray that he does too. It's, it's moments like that that remind me of what that one thing is, right? That, that God just wants us to be with him. Sure, there's lots of stuff that needs to get done, and that's not minimized at all. But let us never forget that what God wants is what God has always wanted. He just wants you. He wants you to hop up in his lap and and spend time with him, to be in his presence and allow his presence to be with you, the, the, the people of God and the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. I find when, when I do that, when I spend time with him, it, it changes the way that I'm able to do all the other things that are swirling around in my life. In fact, it, it doesn't always change my situation. It doesn't make all the problems go away, but it changes my perspective and my ability to, to handle those problems. God wants us to dwell in his presence even in the midst of all the circumstances of life. It reminds me of one of my favorite songs. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. I do, just about every morning. Instead of being distracted by all the, the busyness of this world, God's word reminds us that one thing one thing matters most, that relationship that affects all of our other relationships. God tells us that we're called to, to run the race that's marked out for us. It's so much different than the, the rat race that we've been conditioned uh, by our culture to run, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes that feels like we're running in circles. This, this race is much different. It's a race that, that has purpose. It's a race that that leads 
us down the path of peace. It doesn't mean that all those other things aren't important. It doesn't mean that we won't experience difficulties in life. It just means that God is with us in the midst of it all and, and God's gonna give us everything that we need. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He is God with us and God for us and God working in and through and around us and sometimes in spite of us for our good and for his glory, which is our greatest good. So instead of being discouraged by the craziness of this world, God's word encourages us to remember that we never run alone. As followers of Christ and as the church, we are running this race together, amen? Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Friends, wherever you are right now, I just want you to know God wants you to run to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm humble. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. God wants you to run to him so that you can run to those things that, that bring life, so that you can run with, with people who will encourage you, right? That's important. That, that's really what sharing life together is all about, is, is finding those folks that you can run that race that's marked out for you together. And that, that brings me to the third and final point this morning. We've talked about deception. We've talked about distraction. Uh, this one is last, but definitely not least, division. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought instead of participating in, in these develop, the development of division in the world and in the church, God's word is, is encouraging us to participate in demolishing anything that would be contrary to life together in Christ. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I think that's a challenge that we need to be reminded of every day before we, uh, before we turn on our computer, before we get on Facebook, before we uh, get to work, whatever it is, that we, we ask God to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now more than ever, I think we need to recognize and resist the temptation to participate and to perpetuate division. Last or a couple weeks ago, Lee Lee talked a lot about how divisive our world has become, and if we're not careful, that can bleed into the church. But it reminds me of, of one of my favorite songs. Uh, maybe you've heard it on the Christian radio. It's by Toby Mac and Kirk Franklin and Mandisa. It, it's got this great word that I think is is a word for us as the church today. It says, "If we're going to fight." 
let's fight for each other. If we're going to shout, let love be the cry. We all bleed the same. So tell me why, tell me why we're divided. Friends, we are created in the image of God. Not only do we all bleed the same, but Christ bled the same for all of us. Amen. And through his blood shed on the cross, we have been made right with one another and with God. The Bible says in Christ, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, so the bottom line is this, Jesus, Jesus is the good news in the face of fake news. Jesus is the way, the way beyond all of our disagreements and divisions. Jesus is the truth that sets us free from the enemy's deception. Jesus is the life, life to the fullest, life abundant, life eternal, life together. He's the runner that can lead us out of the rat race and into the race that brings joy and peace and purpose and meaning. He, he's the only one that can guide us down the path that leads to life. He's the one whose body was broken so that we might be made whole. So that we might be one, united in Christ, the body of Christ, without division and dissension and disorder, so that we might be filled with faith, hope, and love for one another, so that the world might see him through us. Amen. That's why Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or feigned deceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. In a nutshell, in your relationships, with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, right? He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the one that can do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And so as a response to this gift, we're called to live differently. That letter to the Thessalonians ends with this invitation. I want to leave you with it today. Paul says to the church of faith, hope, and love, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Next week, we're going to talk about what I call community builders, those things that are embedded in our DNA as the church that draw us closer to God and closer to one another, closer to this vision of of sharing life together in Christ, the people of God and the place of God dwelling in the presence of God. But until then, I wanna pray. I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for us that we would be able to recognize deception, distraction, and division in all their various forms in our lives and in our life together. I wanna pray that God would give you and me the strength to reject and renounce and resist them, that God would give you and me the humility to repent in those places where, where we particip participated in them. I wanna pray that God would give 
what God loves and longs to give each one of us, his grace that, that helps us start anew and afresh each day. So that in Christ, we might walk in the way that leads to life. Life abundant. Life eternal. Life together. Amen. I want to pray for us right now. The band's going to come up. If, uh, if, if God is putting something on your heart and you need to come pray, I want to invite you. The altars are going to be open this morning. If you want somebody to pray with you, I would be honored to do that. If you have any questions about a relationship with Christ or a relationship with this church, uh, I would love to, to answer those as well. But uh, before we, we do that, will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your presence provision and power in our lives and in our world. God, we thank you that you have not left us or forsaken us. We thank you that you are with us and for us and, and desire to work in us and through us. God, we thank you that even when we turn away, you pursue us. God, we thank you that your grace meets us right where we are and loves us, forgives us, and yet doesn't leave us there. That we thank you, Lord, that your grace calls us forward to follow Christ into the newness of life that, that's only ours through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray today that, that you would help us to put on the full armor of God so that we might stand in the face of deception and distraction and division, that we might fix our eyes on Jesus, that we might walk as he walked, that we might love one another the way that he loves us. That we might seek not to be served, but to serve. That we might walk in the way that leads to life. Life abundant, life eternal, life together. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Altars are open. I want to invite you to stand as we sing.